Every day, those the ones who enhance the flow. You know them Bruce Lee roars and possess the glow. Yo, you're the last dragon, so you're good to go. You're giving back to the world, or why you're crushing your gold? See, you ain't gotta see it, you can just be it. You're the streets hope. Yeah, God told me you're dope, and you're here just to give us some pearls. We appreciate that, so we can share with the world. See, you ain't gotta see it, you can just be it. You're the streets hope. Yeah, God told me you're dope. Dope to dope to dope dope. You're dope. Dope to dope to dope. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to Everyday Dope, the podcast about dope people who do dope things. And when do they do these dope things? Well, quite frankly, they do them every day. I'm your host, Mr. Sheffield. Today's guest is going to be Burt Warshaw. He's the strongest 30, 92-year-old. He played four years of tennis at Georgia Tech. He ran his own civil engineering firm, and he's lived through some important times in this country, like the Civil Rights Movement, World War II, and our current can, uh, pandemic, COVID-19. How are you doing today, Bert? Just fine, thank Just you. Just fine. You like the weather today, sir? Yes, I do. It's not too hot outside for you? No, I'm from Florida, so <laughs> this is fine. You told me you were from Brooklyn, Bert. Oh, well, I was born there, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> then you moved to Miami. Uh, that's right. You moved to Miami when I was 11 years old. And now you're 92. 92. Do the math on that. How long ago is that? <laughs> you mean 11 from 92? Yes, or, sir. Uh, well, that's, uh, let's see. That would be 81, I guess. Okay. <laughs> now, we're going to start you off with the same question we ask everybody else, Bert. What's your definition of dope? My definition of dope is two definitions, really. One is a drug. or okay. it's, it's any drug. It's dope was just a generic term for dope. Mm -hmm. And the other was uh, a measure of one's intellect or intelligence. If, if you weren't, <laughs> if you didn't display too much uh, acumen, uh, brain-wise, why <laughs> you were considered a dope or dopey or what have you. Yeah, people called you dopey, right? Exactly. Like, like exactly. Like one of the seven dwarfs were dopey. Uh, that's correct. Yes. That's correct. <laughs> but in the urban vernacular, we we call it kind of a cool thing. I know we talked about that earlier. But yes, dope could be a drug. It could be some goofy person, right? right. But you're neither of those. <laughs> well, well uh, depends on whose opinion you ask for. <laughs> depends guess. on who's talking, right? <laughs> right? But since you're everyday dope, sir, we don't think you're dopey. We think you're absolutely cool well. and absolutely dope. Now, you are a 92-year-old, right? Correct. And you're still strong and you're moving around and you're exercising and you're imparting knowledge and wisdom into folks. What's your secret? How do you stay so strong and vibrant? God. God. One word. One word. What, what, what do you know about God? Like, tell, tell us about God. <clears throat> well, uh, that's, that's a long story, which I'll try to make as short as possible. We're listening, sir. Um, my family was Jewish. Mm -hmm. My uh, grandfather was an Orthodox rabbi. Uh, my mother was his oldest daughter, and she was the only one of his nine children which didn't have a graduate college education. Okay. She was the oldest daughter, so she had to stay home and take care of the rest of his children, I guess. At any rate, um, she didn't, she just stressed to me the fact of doing the best you can, whatever you're doing. It's that old cliche, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Do it well. Well, she... She really, that, that was almost her religion, uh, in addition to being honest and hardworking and all the other 
things, uh, uh, in my opinion, we seem to be missing in our society today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so for but, you, God is about doing your best uh, with everything that you do? Yes. I, I wish I could say that, you know, that was behind everything I did in life, but far from it. It was only, <laughs> uh, it was only in my um, middle to later years that I uh, came to appreciate the wisdom of what my mother was trying to get me to do. Right, to do, to <laughs> I, do your best and do good to others. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not really sure. Uh, in fact, I am sure. I, I haven't really been successful in doing that, but that's what I try to do. But anyway. that's what you need God for, right? The help uh, to do those things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about me, Bert. <laughs> it's something that you may not know. Now, in high school, I was kind of athletic, and I decided my senior year of high school to play on the tennis team. And I got an award that year. You want to know what that award was? A tennis racket? They probably should have gave me a tennis racket, but because it was my first time seeing one. The award that I got was most improved because I was that bad. That tells you how mediocre I was. But you, sir, you played four years of tennis at Georgia Tech. At a Division One school, I was also on the Junior Davis Cup team. Oh, Junior Davis Cup team! But tell us about those four years at Georgia Tech. Like, how did you get there? Were you scholarshiped? When did you start playing tennis? How did mm -hmm. that go? Um, <laughs> well, when we when we moved from Brooklyn to Florida, my mother was cleaning out the house we lived in, and she came across a tennis racket belonging to my older brother. I have two brothers. They were 14 and 15 years older than I was. Wow. So they weren't really peers of mine, but, but we were pretty close. Mm -hmm. At any rate, I had never seen a tennis racket, but I used to play a lot of handball when I was in grammar school. So you just extended it and put a racket in your hand, huh? Right. So I, and, and the handball was played against a brick wall, was uh, next to an open lot. And we used to play handball against the brick wall. So I took the tennis racket that my mom was about to throw away, and I, it was right up the block from where we lived, and I started hitting. Uh, uh, it, we used to have at that time what we called rubber balls. They were like tennis balls, but they didn't have any fuzz on them. Kind of like a racket, like a racquetball now? Like a racquetball, but bigger and softer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the practice time. Like, how long did you? Ha like, how long before you got good? Like, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll, get to I'll go into that. Okay. Uh, and I was kind of fascinated, but of course we were moving, so I didn't get a chance to really practice, so to speak, with the tennis racket. Right. But when we got to Florida, I discovered that my folks had an apartment two blocks away from a park in Miami Beach called Flamingo Park. Flamingo Park. Which had like, and it's, it's a pretty famous park. They've, they have a lot of the Orange Bowl tennis tournament takes place there mm -hmm. and everything else. And they had nine tennis courts. So- All uh, you needed was one, huh? All I needed was one. <laughs> and I didn't know anybody, because uh, 11 years old and you don't know anybody. So I, I knew there was a park. My mother told me there was a park two blocks away. Mm -hmm. uh, get out of my hair and go there and take, <laughs> make, make yourself known, you know. So I did that, and uh, 
I, I guess I don't remember the details, but I guess I found someone to play with, or uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. It must have been terrible. But after three or four years, <clears throat> for my age, because then I was 13 or 14 years old. So you really started playing late, right? Yes. Kids have oh, rackets in uh, their, Absolutely. They have rackets in their hand <clears throat> at two years old now. Absolutely. But uh, by sheer luck, I chose to do the right thing. What was that? The pro at the park who used to teach the tourists how to play tennis, mm -hmm. he needed what they called a backup boy. Oh, okay. Somebody who could pick up all the balls his students were hitting and put them back in the basket and do it again. So I volunteered to help the pro. You traded that for lessons? Uh, well, actually, I didn't trade it for lessons. I paid attention to what he was telling the people. Wow, so you just and, saw it. And I guess I improved pretty rapidly. <laughs> <clears throat> So you just any, looked at it and got better. Uh, well, that sounds pretty easy. It wasn't really <laughs> that that easy. I, I took a I took a lot of um, bullying and uh, you're too young to be playing with me uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, I guess after the bigger guys got beat a couple of times, <laughs> uh, I earned enough respect to, to them to want to play with me. So that's been a but, that's been a thing throughout just history. If you go and you do a thing and you compete at a high level, you gain that respect, right? Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, at any rate, I ended up, <clears throat> I ended up with number one on the high school tennis team. Wow. And that was uh, the spring of 1945. And uh, much to my surprise at the state tennis tournament where they announced the people, the kids who were selected to the Junior Davis Cup squad, I heard my name mentioned. I couldn't believe you it. could not I, believe it. I had no idea that I was considered or anything like that. That is a crazy accomplishment. But, now, um, so when you got to Georgia Tech, and so now you've, you've had this, you're on the Junior Davis team, right? Yeah, right. But at some point, right, you ended up playing mixed doubles with some famous people. Right. Tell us about that. Chris Everett. Mm-hmm. Um, you were on her team when she was against you. Uh, I played against her in the semifinals of a tournament, which which we won. Oh, team won. So, so you you a winner, huh, Bert? I I was a winner. Yeah, uh, I wish I could tell you I was always a winner, but I wasn't. But <laughs> well, sometimes you uh, gotta. You, sometimes you have to lose, and, and <laughs> so you can understand how to win, right? Or you well, just like winning all the time. I, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> I tell you what really happened, Cedric. Okay. Watching the pro at Flamingo Park. Mm -hmm made me concentrate more on how I played rather than whether I won or not. Now that's dope. Mm -hmm. He was showing his students how to play. He never was, he wasn't a pro coaching a, a, a pro tennis player. Right. He was a pro teaching somebody how to play. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I played tennis, and I guess this is a confession, I was always more concerned. I don't want to sound vain, but it's true. Uh, I was always more concerned with how I was playing with, than when I was whether I was winning or not. So that goes back to what your mom said. As long as you're it, doing it your best. It goes back to that. Yeah. Right. Because that tied in, you know, doing your best meant playing your best. Uh, and there's a big difference, as you know, if you've played sports, there's a big difference between playing your best and playing to win sometimes. It, come on. <laughs> playing your best so, and playing to win. I like so, it. Well, I always... I always 
I always loved John McEnroe because he was the exact opposite <laughs> of I was as a tennis player. John McEnroe, in my opinion, always looked terrible. <laughs> I couldn't understand, but he knew how to win. But he knew how to win. Yeah, and I wasn't that interested. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't that interested. <laughs> I liked to win, but I, I felt worse if I got f- finished with a match and knew I hadn't played well. Mm-hmm. Um, so about playing well was more important to you. Yeah, and kind of, I guess, because when, when, when I went to Georgia Tech, it was the furthest thing from my mind for playing on the tennis team. It never even occurred to me. In fact, I never even knew that Georgia Tech had a tennis team. <laughs> well, they definitely uh, have one. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, my freshman year, we won the Southeastern Conference Championship. So, so Georgia Tech used to be in the SEC. They were, yeah, SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not ACC like they are now. Right. And my freshman year was Bobby Dodd's first year as head football coach. Wow. But, so it was a... It was a good. It was a good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, after you left Georgia Tech, and you got your degree, now right, you actually started a civil engineering firm, right? That, that was many years later. Oh, that was many years later. Yeah. But, so many years later, you start this civil engineering firm. For the people who don't know, can you tell us what civil engineering is? <clears throat> civil engineering is kind of like medicine in a way, in that. If you say I'm a medical doctor, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, what kind of a doctor are you? Right. You know, mm-hmm. Are you a heart doctor or whatever? Uh, and civil engineering involves structural engineering, <clears throat> highway engineering, water supply, sewerage, drainage, surveying. All of that is part of civil engineering. Oh, nice. So what's <clears throat> one of the... Um, biggest projects you ever worked on or something that you're very proud of as a civil engineer? Was it the dinosaur? No, not really. <laughs> no. Uh, <clears throat> Can you tell us what the dinosaur was? Uh, yes. The dinosaur, well, in, uh, in 19, I started my firm in 1959 mm-hmm. and I graduated from tech in 1949. So it was it 10 years. It wasn't that much long. It's a decade. You had to decade. get yourself together. Right. Well, in, in the process, I worked on the hydrogen bomb and a few other things, but that wasn't part of my <laughs> firm at all. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, at, at any rate, um, in, in helping an architect who wanted me to design a certain type of building, and in the process of working out the engineering for it, I picked up two patents on a method of constructing a certain type of structure. Nice. And as a result of that, uh, that was given a lot of publicity in the technical uh, media at the time. And so I was contacted by the Sinclair Oil Company. Uh, I think they're still in business, but at that time they were a major uh, gasoline and uh, uh, petroleum product company uh, equivalent like uh, Shell is today Mm -hmm. or uh, BP, BP, Mm -hmm. uh, Texaco and that sort of thing. Anyway, they wanted to know, using my patented method of construction, whether a, and their logo was a dinosaur, Uh a green dinosaur. So they wanted you to build a gas station that looked like a green dinosaur. 
Yeah, well, they they didn't say green. They just said dinosaur. It looked like a dinosaur. <laughs> they didn't give you the color, huh? Right. No. Uh, and I guess it could have been green if they wanted it. But at any rate, um, and they had a site at the intersection of U.S. Highway 19 and, and uh, State Highway 60, I think it was, in Florida. And it was right near a tourist attraction, Wikiwashi Springs. Is that still there? Um, I'm not sure. But it, it was as of maybe 10 years ago or okay. so ago. But at any rate, uh, so we, we did construct the dinosaurs successfully. Uh, well, I guess it became it became really the tourist attraction at that intersection. <laughs> you took a, because you took over that tourist part, <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, during construction, they ended up having to put highway patrolmen at the intersection to keep the traffic from stopping because it was it was just a highway intersection, and when people saw the dinosaur during construction, they would stop and gawk at it and what have you. And in order to prevent accidents and car pileups, uh, the highway <laughs> patrol was right there. <laughs> so. Now that's dope. Mm-hmm. Now, Bert, you are absolutely dope, sir. We have figured out that you played tennis with some professionals. You built a gas station <laughs> that looks like a dinosaur. And you've lived through a lot of treacherous times, sir. And we just admire who you are. But we know that you're dope, sir. But now we need to know if you know what's going on in these streets. All right, Bert, we have reached the part in our show that we call What's the Dopest? And you have to get this answer right. If you get it wrong, sir, we put you out the house. And I do understand that this is your house, but we still have to put you outside if you get the answer wrong. Sir, who is the dopest? Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi? Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras. You're going with Sampras. Why is that, sir? Uh, he was, to coin a popular phrase, he was cool when he played tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Agassi uh, was... Loud. Lo- Long-haired, <laughs> yeah. wore his shirt out. He was an aggressive guy. An aggressive guy, lovable guy. I mean, he, <laughs> he seemed to be a lovable guy. But Pete Sampras seemed to really uh, have his ducks in a row when he was playing tennis. I admired him. So he, I, I admired ISC too, but not as much as I did Sampras. Not as much as you did Sampras. All right, so Pete, uh, Bert is going with... Uh, Pete Sampras, because he said he was cool and he had his ducks in a row. <laughs> now, Bert, you're 92, but we still need to know, like, what's next for you? What happens tomorrow? What's your daily routine? Like, what are you looking forward to? Any more boat rides in your future? Oh, you've, <laughs> you've really asked me a, a very dear question. Uh, I'm, I'm frustrated, uh, and let me explain that. Uh, God has blessed me, and uh, Lord only knows, I don't know why, because I, I feel mentally uh, alert and able to think straight. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't have any aches or pains. Uh, 
I don't see well, and that's my biggest problem. But I've, I guess I've spent my whole life being productive, doing something, and I like to think that for the most part it was something that other people benefited by my doing. I'm, I may have gotten paid for, for most of it, but nevertheless, uh, from, what I, from what I was told, it was done well and it was useful, and I earned my keep. And uh, now at 92, and I guess maybe not being able to see well, I, I don't drive anymore, and I'm constantly frustrated because I feel I should still be doing something productive, and I haven't found out exactly what that, what is. that is. Now, my family and my kids and my grandchildren will all argue that point. Uh, You've produced enough, sir. Well, uh, no, that isn't true. I... I, I yeah. I want to be productive until I'm not here anymore. And uh, to answer your question, and, and it isn't really an answer to your question, because uh, I'd like to look forward to being productive, and I don't know what that's going to be. Well, but, you, you have a strong relationship with God. I suggest you get in prayer. Ask uh, him what to send that productive thing is to you um, so that you can uh, do some more producing before you get away from here. I totally agree, and I ask him that question every day. And uh, as usual, he's taking his time giving me the answer. <laughs> but hopefully I will get an answer. You will. Now that's dope. Well, Bert, we thank you for coming to Everyday Dope. We do appreciate you for your time. We appreciate you for your dopeness and just how amazing you are and the things that you have contributed to this world. All right? And we're going to holler at you on the other side. Thank you for tuning in to Everyday Dope. We hope that you were inspired to live in your dopeness and celebrate the dopeness around you. Don't forget to rate, review, and share with your crew. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at My Everyday Dope. I'm your host, Mr. Sheffield, and we will see you on the other side.